Hello, welcome to the second episode of my podcast. In the beginning, there was philosophy. Today I will discuss the contrast between open and closed societies. This distinction is still as topical today as it was 100 years ago. There are still numerous countries around the world which by this distinction have to be regarded as closed. Think for instance of North Korea or Iran. So how do we define an open as opposed to a closed society? By which criteria do we call a society open or closed? And what are the advantages and disadvantages of both types of society? To answer these questions is the task of political philosophy. First, some history and terminology. The notion of an open, in contrast to a closed society, was first introduced by the French philosopher Henri Bergson in 1932. But it was the Austrian philosopher Karl Popper who popularized the distinction between these two types of society. In 1937, Popper left Austria and took up a position as philosophy lecturer at Canterbury University College in Christchurch, New Zealand. It was during this time in New Zealand, from 1937 to 1945, that Popper wrote his influential books The Open Society and Its Enemies and The Poverty of Historicism. Broadly speaking, Popper characterized a closed society as one which believed in magical taboos and an open society as critical of taboos. By the way, we can regard taboos as unquestioned or even unquestionable assumptions, conventions and traditions in a society. An open society values the freedom of the individual. A closed society puts the interest of the collective above the individual. Of course, this very broad characterization can be described in more detailed terms. Before I do so, I think it is important to point out that the distinction between open and closed societies did not remain confined to the academic ivory tower. It caught on and became a battle cry of numerous politicians and public figures. For instance, the former German Chancellor Helmut Schmidt, a social democrat, credits Popper with having guided him in his political affairs. He valued Popper's emphasis on the slow reform of institutions rather than the radical overthrow. Helmut Kohl, also a former Chancellor and Christian Democrat, praised Popper for his contribution to the understanding of democracy. He was one of the most significant champions of the open society, he wrote, for he destroyed the fallacy of the belief in the historic mission of one race or class. In Britain, the Labour politicians Anthony Crossland and Dennis Healy were influenced by Popper. So was the Conservative Party politician and Vice-Chancellor of Leeds University, Edward Boyle. Margaret Thatcher was rumoured to be a Popperian. In a speech in April 2012, the former US Secretary of State Hillary Clinton 
predicted that nations would not be divided between East and West or along religious lines, but between open and closed societies. For Clinton, the most important aspect of an open society was the transparency of their governments, which was much boosted by the Internet. Many listeners will be familiar with the name of George Soros, the American-Hungarian international financier. Soros contacted Popper in 1952 because he had been impressed by the open society. The book inspired him to create his Open Society Fund in 1982. The purpose of the Open Society Fund was the promotion of an open society and a critical mode of thinking, which is indispensable to it, as he wrote to Popper in a letter in April 1987. In 1991, Soros established the Central European University in Budapest, Prague and Warsaw. We need a commitment to the open society, he wrote, because it is the right form of social organization. It provided a framework and aimed to open up closed societies. Yet it was only a necessary, not a sufficient condition for freedom and prosperity. Whilst Popper identified totalitarianism as the main enemy of the open society, Soros argued that it had been replaced by laissez-faire capitalism, of which Popper never approved. Soros became a tireless campaigner for the open society, he established a Karl Popper Trust in Switzerland in 1989, a Karl Popper Fellowship at Cape Town University and the Open Society Fund offered Karl Popper bursaries. Popper admired his achievements and invited Soros to his house in Kenley in South London. Shortly before his death in 1994, Popper became the first recipient of the Open Society Award. In the same year, the Central European University in Budapest made Popper the first laureate of the Open Society Prize. So what were Popper's views? The notion of an open society had therefore multiple repercussions. It is as topical today as it was at the beginning of the 20th century. It is important to realize that Popper wrote the open society as well as poverty of historicism under the impact of the rise of fascism in Europe. He regarded these works as his contribution to the war effort. He was not alone. A fellow Austrian, the economist Friedrich von Hayek, who was instrumental to Popper's appointment at the London School of Economics in 1945, also published a staunch defense of the open society and a rejection of totalitarianism. Both von Hayek's The Road to Serfdom in 1944 and Popper's Open Society were political books and fights against fascism. Popper actually told von Hayek that his own book was infinitely inferior to von Hayek's, yet it was Popper's book which caught the attention of the public. As listeners may know, Popper launched a fierce attack on Plato, Hegel and Marx. His verdict on Marx was more balanced than his rejection of Plato and Hegel. While he regarded Plato as a proper philosopher, he simply dismissed Hegel as a charlatan. 
Cambridge University Press actually rejected the open society because it was disrespectful to Plato. Popper's interpretation of Plato and Hegel has been much debated. For my purpose, it is not important whether Popper was right or wrong. Instead, I will concentrate on Popper's characterization of the contrast between an open and a closed society. This will take me beyond the open society into Popper's other writings. It will also take me beyond Popper because both the German philosopher Jürgen Habermas and the British sociologist Anthony Giddens have elaborated on the contrast between these two types of society. Their reflections on the nature of modern civilizations have updated the notions of closed and open societies. So how does Popper characterize an open society generally, beyond the above claim that an open society is critical of taboos, of established customs and traditions? He singled out Plato, Hegel and Marx as enemies of the open societies and defenders of a paternalistic state or closed society. By contrast, an open society, he held, values the freedom of the individual over the collective, embraces democracy as a political system, prefers peaceful social reform to violent revolution, allows the operation of the free market but within certain limits. Popper also expressed his hatred of all forms of nationalism and embraced cosmopolitanism. In his later reflections, the list of priorities in an open society shifts to the promotion of peace, halting the population explosion, proper education for children and, if necessary, censorship of the media. Let me characterize each of these points. First, the freedom of the individual in an open society. Both Popper and von Hayek agreed that the rights of individuals must be protected by law. At the end of the 1950s, Popper had a correspondence with the Oxford philosopher and political theorist Isaiah Berlin. Berlin was famous for his distinction between positive and negative liberty. By negative liberty he meant the non-interference of agencies like the state in people's private lives. The private sphere is protected by law. Berlin associated positive liberty with totalitarian thinking. The individual should submit to a greater good, a higher aim and an overriding common ideal, such as the vision of a political party, the community or the state. In pursuit of positive freedom, the individual becomes subservient to the higher plan. Furthermore, this higher aim is imposed on the individual. As against such visions, Berlin, von Hayek and Popper advocated the respect of the individual. Popper insisted on the importance of individuals using their freedom to think for themselves. Such freedom is guaranteed in open societies. The most important feature of open democratic societies is the tripartite division of power into the executive, which executes the law, the legislative, which makes the law, and the judiciary branch, which upholds the law. It is important to remember that these three arms of power are independent and strictly separated. In fact, 
it is possible for a member of society to take the government to court. In an open society, the rule of law is of paramount importance. Popper therefore emphasized the importance of checks and balances. The question is not just who rules, but also who controls the rulers. Incidentally, I may add, this leads to further interesting questions in political philosophy, namely, what is power, what is justice, and which form of government is the best in an open society. In a closed society, the separation of powers is often absent. The three branches of power do not act independently of each other, which makes it very difficult for individuals or institutions to hold the rulers to account. Popper and his fellow thinkers also preferred piecemeal societal reform to violent revolutions. They favored the slow evolution of institutions to the radical overthrow of society. The problem with the global restructuring of society is, as Popper pointed out, that it leads to the need for unplanned planning. That is, unforeseen or unplanned obstacles emerge which require new planning, which was not part of the original plan. This may throw the original plan into disarray. An open society offers the possibility of a conscious, even rational design of institutions. An open society is characterized by humanitarianism and rationality. A closed society does not give rise to critical scrutiny, because it is trapped in a web of unquestioned conventions, customs and traditions. Proponents of the open society also allow the operation of the free market, but they oppose unbridled laissez-faire capitalism. On the one hand, the state should guarantee a private sphere, but it should also protect the weakest members of society and curb the excesses of free market capitalism. Finally, an open society, in Popper's view, should oppose all forms of nationalism. Nationalism is evil because it creates the impression that nations are unequal and increases the danger of violent conflicts between societies. Popper, like other proponents of an open society, preferred cosmopolitanism to nationalism. Given these characterizations, the transition from a close to an open society is a momentous social change, which does not happen overnight. And the distinction between these two types of society is an idealization. The realization of an open society is an ongoing project, an ideal towards which at least some actual societies constantly strive. Recent history has also shown that a society can retrograde from a relatively open back to a closed society. Closed societies remain as much a reality today as in the 1930s. So let's go beyond Popper and consider some modern views. We can envisage model societies to be arranged along a scale from totally close to totally open, characterized by the features I have introduced. Actual societies can then be placed along this scale in terms of the degrees of openness they have achieved. As approximations to open and closed societies still exist today, the distinction between these two types has remained topical. 
societies do not have to be traditional to qualify as closed. Even modern societies can be closed. Political thinkers today, I have Habermas and Giddens in mind, cast this contrast in a different language, which I wish to briefly introduce. The talk is no longer of magical forces in which closed societies believe and which open societies reject. Rather, the distinction between closed and open societies is formulated in terms of the notions of differentiation and reflexivity. I have already alluded to the notion of differentiation by emphasizing the separation of powers. The executive, the legislative and the judicial branch of power are different social systems which operate according to their own criteria but overseen by a legal framework which applies to all systems in society. But there are also other social systems. Art, business and industry, universities, science are all social systems within society which obey their own rules and regulations but operate within society. Close societies either lack such differentiations or do not allow the independence of societal subsystems. A totalitarian society, think of Nazi Germany, will bring the branches of power and the subsystems into line with the overall ideology. The second feature of open societies is reflexivity. This implies a critical examination of social norms, values and practices in the light of knowledge about such features. It is the job of the social sciences to establish knowledge of societal practices which can then be employed to modify these practices. But the natural sciences also contribute to the establishment of reflexivity. For instance, in traditional closed societies there is no clear distinction between qualitative and quantitative concepts nor is there a clear distinction between nature and culture. Let me illustrate. First, with respect to qualitative and quantitative concepts. A given society may be in the possession of the notion of time or temperature without having precise devices to measure these properties. It is easy to feel when it is hot or see when it is evening, but in the absence of thermometers and clocks these impressions remain vague. The second example refers to the distinction between nature and culture, which Greek society failed to make. According to Plato and Aristotle, a human being was either a slave or a master by nature. People were born a slave or a master. But these categories, just like the divinity of kings, are a convention, not a natural attribute. The new way of thinking about the two types of society has interesting consequences. A. It is possible for a close totalitarian society, say Nazi Germany, to have a high level of differentiation or specification, but a low level of reflexivity. B. A society with a low level of differentiation, like a Greek city-state, the Italian city republics, in the late Middle Ages or revolutionary France may enjoy a high level of reflexivity. A final question occurs. 
What advantages or disadvantages does life in a closed or open society have? A closed society offers citizens a level of certainty which is absent from an open society. A closed society lacks the feature of reflexivity. The pillars on which it rests cannot be challenged or questioned. Challenging the unquestioned assumptions on which a closed society is based comes at an enormous personal price for the individual. Individuals who challenge the authorities and their policies will be severely punished. This becomes possible when there is no clear separation between the branches of power. In fact, the authorities go out of their way to suppress opposition and revolt and align all institutions to one point of view. This oppression offers individuals in a closed society a level of certainty and security which open societies cannot match. Their worldviews are untroubled by questions and doubts. No free press informs the citizens of the true state of affairs. Nobody controls the rulers. Open societies are much more fragile. Critical scrutiny, opposing views are their daily bread. This lowers the level of certainty and security. The threshold of tolerance of each citizen is constantly being questioned. Trust in established institutions is more easily lost. Think of the thorny issue of immigration. In a closed society the level of immigration is very low. It is strictly controlled by the authorities. Hand foreigners pose no problem. In an open society with high levels of immigration, the acceptance level of each citizen is constantly being challenged. Immigrants, especially in high numbers, are perceived as a threat. The government has to justify their immigration policies. The same applies to other problems which open societies face. A permanent doubt hovers over the conventions, customs and rules. The threshold of acceptance and trust is constantly shifting. It is the counterpart of the freedom which open societies offer their citizens. The question of why we should and do trust rulers takes us to the question of political power, which is the subject of my next talk.